0: Welcome to the Bottom-Up Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Rachel. It is a special week for us at Strong Towns. It is our member week where we honor and celebrate the incredible people who are members of this movement all across the country. You've heard many of their stories on this podcast in the past, and there will be so many more to come. If this movement for bottom-up change and financial resilience has got you inspired and starting to take action in your own community, it's time to make your participation official by becoming a sustaining member of Strong Towns today. Visit strongtowns.org slash membership to make it happen. Takes 30 seconds, and I promise that your contribution of any amount is going to make a big difference in helping to spread this message of change and share resources and connections that help advocates like you take action in your place. Today's podcast episode features two fantastic advocates who are part of this movement. Nathan Chung is a Strong Towns member and Master of Regional Planning student at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and he has been part of a really cool effort in his town called the Amherst Mobile Market, which is bringing healthy, fresh local food to sell in neighborhoods that don't have a lot of access to it. And Nathan is also exploring other mobile market efforts around the world, aiming to expand this model elsewhere. In this conversation, Nathan is joined by Ryan Carb, founder and farmer at Many Hands Farm Corps. He's been part of this mobile market program as well and is dedicated to creating a resilient local food system in his community too. In this conversation, Ryan and Nathan talk about how this mobile market got started, the impact that it's made. And the way that they've rooted all of their efforts in what their neighbors ask for, and not projecting on their neighbors' needs. Enjoy the episode, and before you jump into it, take a second to visit strongtowns.org/membership to join this movement as a supporter today. Mm-hmm. So Nathan Chung and Ryan Carb, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. We're so glad to have you on the show.
1: Glad to be
2: here. Thank you so much for your time.
0: So let's start by hearing a little bit about each of you and how you come to be doing the work that you are doing today. Ryan, maybe we can start with you.
1: So I started Many Hands Farm Corps, uh, a small CSA farm in, in Amherst, Massachusetts, about Eleven years ago, I've worked on primarily CSA farms since college, and and I studied where I studied sustainable agriculture, Um, and I studied in at UMass Amherst, so I'm very familiar with the area. I did spend a little bit of time traveling around. When I started my farm, I originally was interested in helping other farms address labor shortages, so I started an internship uh, where I'd bring people around to different farms every day of the week and uh, I did that for about five years before I decided to take a break from it and I spent the last few years just focusing on growing and and building my business and last year or two or the winter before last year felt like a great opportunity opportunity to take on um, a bigger challenge like the mobile market
0: and we'll definitely get more into the mobile market in a second Um, But first, Nathan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, and how did you come to be involved in these food efforts in Amherst?
2: Hi, I'm Nathan. Um, I've been a Strong Towns member since 2019. I really enjoy reading uh, all the wonderful articles uh, Strong Towns uh, publishes. I'm in my last semester of the Master of Regional Planning Program at UMass Amherst. And when I first started the program, my real interest was how to make our cities more walkable. And that naturally led me to consider, oh, you know, we got to have grocery stores and other essential amenities in the area to really make it walkable. It's not just about having nice sidewalks. So initially when I first started at Umass Amherst uh, that was in you know fall of 2019 I got interested in you know working with the local effort to create a grocery cooperative and you know the project was facing some delays and I was more I I then got more interested in ways to have a more immediate impact and then I I got interested in the community's Amherst mobile market project so I worked worked uh, as a market manager uh, part time over the summer in twenty twenty, and uh, I was just interested in the model, so I ended up incorporating my study of them into different classes I was taking on entrepreneurship.
0: Very cool, and that's um, you're getting an urban planning masters, is that right?
2: Yes, that's correct. We, we call it regional planning, but really it's urban planning
0: and regional planning combined. Got it. So I want to get into hearing more about the market, but first, can we also hear just a little bit of background on Amherst, Massachusetts for people that aren't familiar? Um, what is this town like? You know, who lives there? Yeah. Give us a little bit of a sense of Amherst.
1: Yeah, I'll take that one. I think at first glance, it's it's a pretty, it seems like a pretty wealthy town. Um, we're known for having, it's, we're known for having the five colleges in the area—UMass, Amherst uh, College, Hampshire College, Smith, and Mount Holyoke—are all within 20-minute drive of here. So there's a a lot of professors and a lot of people who get employed by the by this different schools. But then, what a lot of people—what isn't always so apparent—is the diversity that's here, and the large number of people from from various countries who speak different languages. Um, there's a high, there's a there's a lot of Section Eight housing in in town. And but they're they're kind of off the beaten path, and they're easily they they're often easily ignored, and they don't always get quite the same attention that, that the downtown areas do. So
0: why did a mobile market seem like the right thing for your community? What sort of need was it filling as this as this idea came about? Ryan, maybe you can start on that one.
1: Yeah, that that a lot of the credit for that goes to Healthy Hampshire, which is part of the uh, collaborative for. Ed- ed- Collaborative Educational Services, a nonprofit located in Northampton. So just want to give them a quick shout out. But they spent years um, developing um, community surveys and and getting you know, really getting into the community and talking with people, hosting meetings and addressing people's direct concerns. And so it was a uh, it was very grassroots like the the mobile market was what people People from the community decided that they wanted to focus on of all the various options that were presented to help increase health goals or to help improve health goals.
0: Ah, I see. Okay. That's really cool to hear about like the, the surveying and really making sure that this is what people want. Um, that's great. So how did this market get started then? Um, what was the, the process to get it off the ground and um, how
1: does it work? Well, there were a few. There were a couple of Mola markets that Healthy Hampshire worked on first. So there's one in Northampton that Grow Food Northampton that manage or operates, and there's another one in the Hilltowns, um, which is associated with the Hilltown CDC. But for Amherst, for a big part of it was just a grant from Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, Definitely was was something that made it made it. Financially possible. After a few years of of, of community ta- talking with people and and doing the surveys and getting more information, once the grant money came in, I think it was. I think that's that's really what kickstarted it.
0: Nathan, maybe you could tell us a little bit about like what actually is a mobile market. How does it work? How does it um, get food to people that need it?
2: Yeah. So there are many different uh, types of how you implement it. And I want to add, there's also a pretty active uh, mobile market down in Springfield called GoFresh Mobile Farmers Market. So some of the main types uh, we have seen uh, are, you know, you take the produce and you set up a tent and table on the site, And that's the model we have at Amherst Mobile Market. I was the one actually who usually drove the van or the pickup truck. We started with the pickup truck with a trailer and then we upgraded to a nicer van. So, you know, I would drive it to the site. It had the produce, the uh, the tent and the tables, set up the tent and the tables with the co-workers and, you know, just sell it like a farmer's market, literally. And other models, you know, if you have a little more budget that I've seen in other parts of the country and also in other parts of the world, it's a dedicated a specialized truck. So it's literally like a it's like a food truck almost, but it's a grocery store on wheels. You know, you can have a really, I've seen some really cute mini ones that the size of a small van all the way up to like a large truck. And uh, you you basically take these to uh, different neighborhoods in need. You set up the trucks and uh, you just sell straight out of the truck. Those things are a little more convenient because they don't require an intensive setup process when you go to the sites.
0: What are some of the sites that you visit uh, and sell at? throughout the year when you're, you know, driving your truck around and and stopping at different places? Is it like um, kind of like central areas or like a senior home or what sort of places do you try to target?
2: I guess I can answer and Ryan can add. So, uh, you know, Healthy Hampshire, they anti- identified uh, four specific neighborhoods in Amherst. Uh, these tend to, to be more low income, uh, low vehicular ownership rate. Um, you know and they some a lot of them were like you know really affordable apartment complexes where a lot of people lived but they happen to be in very remote areas pretty far away from nearby grocery stores i think for a lot of them the nearest grocery store was about 3 miles uh so yeah these were the four sites we targeted so we would go to um each site once a week uh the season ran from uh, end of end of june to uh, end of october if i remember correctly yeah, the main main criteria for uh, setting up was that you know these tended to be lower income and they didn't have access to the nearby grocery store.
1: Yeah, I just like to add or reiterate or, or emphasize that the, the role of you know some that data that was collected by um, different department, different state, different departments within the state um, that was really helpful to just like you know we we had access to maps that show the population densities and the income and the average incomes and the the likelihood of having a car so there was a, there was a lot of information that's public um that's been made public through the state and the work that people in the state do that made made it easier to identify where we should be looking at and then on top of that um input from most of what we've been doing has been tri- has been democratically done by the community members that are involved so we definitely had a lot of input from from people who were attending the meetings to narrow down where we wanted exactly where we wanted to go, but then also permission was a big thing. We needed we needed access to different spots, and sometimes property owners um, weren't that willing to to open up communication about it.
0: So how did you negotiate that? And are you, just like so people can get a full picture? Are these markets like typically set up in like a parking lot or or a park or like in front of an apartment building or? Like who did you have to negotiate with to to get that permission?
1: Yeah, the one of the hardest thing was just just get just community just being able to talk to the owners at all. We set up two sites because they were owned by the town, and we we have a good relationship with the town. Um, I actually got involved through my position on the agricultural commission, um, and was was kind of pushed into or was directed to it. That's how I joined the the meet the community meetings. So we have a good relationship with the town, so that was a pretty easy decision. By like, we just had to ask the town manager for permit permission, um, and it was granted. And then we were able to we were only able to get in touch with one property management company that owns or runs two of the or at least two of the apartment complexes in town. So we set up there, and then it's just a matter of finding like finding where, uh, is the most appropriate. So we, we've definitely had to change spots every now and then aiming for visibility, but also say safety and, and just logistics of like not being on a slope or something. So parking lots have happened, has, has been one place we've done, but mostly there's a, a nice flat grassy area that we're able to do it on next to a parking lot.
0: What's the response been like, um, for people that are are visiting the market and shopping there, Nathan, maybe you can, Uh, Start with that one as someone who has has sat at that booth and, um, you know, run the market.
2: I think people are very happy uh, in general just to have something like this in the community. You know, it goes beyond just providing food, which is important. But I think it creates this common place where people come together and meet each, each other and connect. And you know, with the with the whole COVID pandemic happening right as we are setting up in summer of 2020, I think that was an, another extra boost for people who are in need. You know, we we got a lot of food stamp customers. You know, customers without food stamps, just paying cash. But also, what was really interesting is uh, we got uh, quite a few number of customers who had these uh pandemic food stamps, which was uh, something I I wasn't aware of. So. I think it really helped me to need. And another nice dimension of it was uh, the coworkers I work with, including myself, we're all from the community of Amherst. And uh, I think uh, it was a little bit empowering for them um, to be uh, working at, a, even though it's a part-time job, to be working at a job that's uh, providing for their own uh, community members.
0: Let's zoom out a little bit to, to talk about the importance of having local food access. Ryan, as a farmer, you know, why do you think that having access to food that was grown nearby, that doesn't have to travel a far distance where, where people can meet you and know that, like, you helped grow the food, um, why is that important? Um, and, and, like, what do we lose when we don't have that, which is the case for, you know, so many people... Who just you know are, go to the grocery store and grab something and um, have no idea where it came from?
1: Yeah, for so many for so many people, come into the local food kind of movement for direct reasons like it tastes better, it's fresher, it lasts longer in their fridge. Um, it's they, people feel like it's healthier, and a lot of that can be true. But for me, it's also it's it's all about the in, a lot of the indirect reasons where we're creating a resilient system and studies show that like far, like the ability for a farm to be able to to recover from a natural disaster is mainly dependent upon, um, community support. And, and then there's also like preventing natural disasters. So, um, a local farm in the neighborhood will hopefully people will notice if something's happening to the rivers. And that's, I think on a smaller scale, it's also harder to do great, uh, great amounts of damage. So, if farms are spraying less pesticides, um, being more careful with their fertilizer use so that it doesn't become a pollutant, and um and we're spreading out the resources so that we're not we're not collecting, you know, massive amounts of manure, for example, from from meat farms or or a lot of chemicals from from fertilizer plants. If we're, if we're relying on something that's more locally produced, um we can avoid a lot of uh natural like just, just man-made man-made disasters. Like the, in the case of there's a story recently about the fertilizer plant in Florida that was leaking toxic waste, um, and threatening to flood a town with terrible sewage or something like that.
0: Yeah. And I love that you brought up the importance of like having a resilient food system to where like, we know that our food is, is there and we have access to it. Um, if it comes from, you know, 10 miles away, 20 miles away versus, um, being dependent on like global food systems, the global economy that, it, you know, who knows um, what can happen, famines, ecological disasters, economic challenges that limit our our food access. Um, so having that local food, it makes us more resilient. Yeah.
1: And you don't, when you buy something in the grocery store, you don't know how much the person who is picking it is getting paid. Which I think is also a really important thing. And we uh, at our at our farm, everyone gets starts at fifteen dollars an hour. That's just our minimum wage. Um, we try to keep ahead of this whatever the state imposes. And um, and it's not just us either. It's a lot of local farms around here um, have been increasing their pays over the years because we just like it just has made economic sense because you get better employees and you get people who can stick around for longer. So there's not quite as much turnover. So. There's just a whole whole slew of reasons to invest, even if it's a little more expensive at first. I think the long term there's a lot of long-term benefits
0: as we think about this mobile market, you know it as you said at the start, it sounds a lot like a farmer's market, and I think that's how people typically um, might picture like how would I get food from a local farmer. Why do you think that having this mobile market model is important and like kind of a contrast to, a farmer's market. You know, there are like certain perceptions about like who has has the money to go to a farmer's market, things like that. Yeah, what's your take on on why this type of model is especially important? Um, Nathan, maybe we can start with you.
2: I'm very interested in the mobile mar- market model because of the unique problems that, you know, American cities face with this you know widespread suburban development pattern. Um, a farmer's market, you know, they're, they're great, but the challenge is they tend to be in this large centralized location once a week at a very particular time. So, you know, people who are having access problems because of how spread out we are, you know, it still doesn't address their needs. You know, they have to make sure they can get there. They have to make sure they have time to get there at the exact timing. So the way the mobile market works is, you know, we identify some specific neighborhoods in need. It, it'd be great if you can cover everybody, but we prioritize, you know, based on you know, different factors and we, you know, we go to those neighborhoods. So it reduces the, the travel burden and the time burden for the people who, who need food. So I think it's, a, it's that's one of the key um, important uh, distinguishing points about mobile markets versus a more conventional uh, farmer's market. It's a very interesting question to ask whether this would be a very um, viable, widespread model for addressing the suburban problems we're facing or whether it's more of an intermediate solution.
0: Yeah, definitely good questions for, I hope, other communities to think about too. And I'm remembering that you said the the neighborhoods that you were targeting, people didn't have access. I think within like three miles um, to a grocery store. Which I think for some people that's like oh three miles that's not that far. But if you don't have a car um, or if your your public transit access is pretty limited, three miles is a lot. That's a long ways to to walk, um, especially carrying groceries. Especially so if there's no sidewalks. Like really meeting a need. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Great point. So to close us out here, um, what advice would each of you have for other people that might be um, wanting to improve food access in their neighborhoods, um, maybe even try to start a mobile market like this? Um, What would be a good step to take? Um, What advice would you share? Maybe, Nathan, let's start with you.
2: You know, this ongoing question for myself And I asked this question and in some different courses I took, I'm still, I still don't have a bulletproof answer, but you know, whether the question is, if you want to start a mobile market, can you start it as a for-profit business model or does it have to be non-profit? What was really interesting was in the US, most of the times I talked to some different mobile market administrators, you know, and they had a you know, they had this idea that mobile markets have to be non-profit because they're economically uh, unsustainable without grants and other large sources of funding. And, you know, there are a couple for-profit models in the U.S. that failed. But on the other hand, um, I found out there are at least two very successful for-profit companies in other parts of the world. So this is a Kind of very interesting question about how to approach the the mobile market model, and you know I don't have a clear answer on what would work in the United States specifically. But I think you know I think the, the the you know to start you know you you need to like talk with people, connect with people, and start small. You know, ask what's possible, what people's needs are, and I think another big point is um you gotta be very being careful about making presumptions about what people need and what people don't need, that was an idea that came up a lot in different mobile market organizers. you know they, they really emphasized the need to respect the wants and needs of the community, and sometimes you know what people might want is not the most perfect type of food, but I think it's really about respecting people's autonomy and you know their personalities.:
0: Yeah, great points. Nathan do you happen to know offhand you said that there are two um, markets in in other places around the world that are operating at for-profit do you know the names of those I can like share links um, to their websites if folks want to like check them out and learn more
2: yes uh, it's a little hard to pronounce them because they're in other languages Uh uh,
1: one
2: ah, is okay. in, yeah, I I can definitely I can um, one is in German, Germany and Belgium and Luxembourg. It covers those three areas. It's a it's a large a large company called Heiko, H E I K O. Do you want me to spell the website here, or do you want me to send it to you?
0: Um, yeah, I can I can grab it afterwards. Um, I'll look it up or, or get it from you. Yeah, so Heiko and then. Um, yeah. What was the other one?
2: The other one is a, a Japanese uh, uh, franchise that's targeted uh, that targets seniors living in rural communities without grocery access. It's it's called uh, Tokushimaru, T O K U S H I M A R U.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I will make sure to include links um, to those if people want to investigate further. Ryan, what advice um, would you have for folks that are interested in starting an effort like this um, or maybe pursuing um, a, a farming uh, future for themselves or just getting involved in local food in general? yeah,
1: um I'm echoing what Nathan finished with of just making sure you're listening like don't go and try to help somebody without listening to them first. Um, make sure that uh, that you're you don't want to. You don't want to be an outsider going in, telling people what to do or how to do it. So, uh, spend some time, like get invested in the community and and become a member of the community. I think that's the most important thing, especially in terms of like farmers markets or or, or some kind of philanthropy. Um, as for farming, I would also say like I think we have the most, the youngest, most idealist people. Idealistic people might be the most drawn to this. Um, and I would I would caution I, I would caution it. Uh, caution people to be wary of trying to do too much too soon. Um, Farms in general don't make a lot of money. In fact, there was a study done by a UMass student about farms in the area a few years ago. And and on the whole, we're mostly, we're all mostly losing money. There's, there's usually farmers have a second job or a partner who has a decent paying job or we, we come from inherited wealth. Um, And so it's knowing that, that farming is even selling to the richest customers is a, is a challenge. Um, and so, finding a way to make it work for people who can 't afford the highest prices um, is equally a challenge, but it can like i think it can be done but also i 've been able to rely i 've been running my c s a for ten years, and when I told my c s a members that I was doing this, um, we had a ton of support and uh, not only were they okay with me adding this like extra challenge to myself to the farm on, but they were also we we received a lot of unsolicited donations from people who were just interested, including sometimes just people who were lending their cars because some of our market managers didn't have their own cars and they needed rides. Oftentimes, with I've, when I started farming, I noticed there's this like. We're always selling things at the highest price possible at farmers' markets uh or even through c s a s and then we're giving away the things we're not selling to survival centers or food food banks um and I think giving food away is is incredible and shouldn't be this should should be continued but also there's like a whole there's a whole middle ground of of people who are being missed out and kind of the working poor people who it's important to get to their doorstep because they don't have time. It's a, it's a challenge to to cook with fresh vegetables every night or even some nights a week. Um, and it's a challenge to buy them and, and have them, you know, rot in your fridge because you didn't get around to using them. So um, showing up as close to people's homes as possible, being regular, it's really important. I will also like to just, to just do something consistently um, and not just show up once and then give up because it was hard Um, But but show that you're there for the long run and and develop, take the time to develop patterns um, so that people can also change their change their lifestyles a little bit based on what they've got access to.
0: Yeah, Ryan, I love your honesty and just candidness about about this industry and the challenges um, and also like the, the positives and what we need to focus on. Before we uh, close out here, I'd love to hear like what's what's next for you both. The summer season is picking up. Um, Brian, you also you know have your CSA. plus I'm assuming that the market is you know kicking off soon um, in June if it's uh, if you're using the same schedule as last year. So what's what's next for you all? What are your hopes for this summer? Um, Ryan, let's start with you. So
1: this year, I'm hoping to hire somebody uh, to, well, we, we've just, we've just had some successful fundraising um, recently. And this year, I'm hoping to hire somebody to do a lot of the work that I was doing last year, which included ordering and picking up. Um, the pandemic made that a big challenge. I, I didn't want, especially early in the year when we weren't sure about surfaces, like I didn't want people sharing the same vehicle very often. So there's only one or two of us driving. Um, so this year, I'd like to have more people do some of the stuff that that gets done on the back end and continue my goal of like I want to take myself out of this as much as possible to be the farmer that's growing the food not not someone who's managing the mobile market but but helping to helping others to manage it i think also for people interested in starting something like this i had been selling out our CSA membership for years Last year, because of the pandemic, we had a ton of early signups and I actually went 20 CSA shares over my goal. Um so this year I'm actually not selling any new shares to our regular like on-the-farm CSA because the, that that CSA is limited to just the produce that that I grow. I'm trying to turn people who are prospective customers who are interested that I have to turn away. I'm telling them to go to the mobile market to support that because even though it's just us setting up tents, when I don't have enough of my own produce, I, I like I, we buy from other farmers too. So there's always ways to get more.
0: Very cool. And Nathan, what about you? What's next? Are you working at the market this summer? And um, what? Yeah, what? What do the next few months look like for you?
2: My plans right now are a little murky. You know, I'm finishing up. Like this is the second to last week of my uh, my year at my studies at UMass Amherst. This is the end of my program, and oh yeah, uh,
0: congratulations! Very exciting.
2: <laughs> thanks. I've been mean, you know debating about you know I'm still looking for work, but I'm debating whether actually the mobile market had a big impact on what I'm trying to do because uh, the the program is geared toward producing more conventional government planners, but I I have I'm getting the sense maybe that's not my path you know i'm just debating that and so i'm trying to see if there's a way for me to be involved as a part of the food system maybe there will be the mobile market maybe there'll be another way but i got very interested in entrepreneurship so i i took some courses in the business school outside of my regular regional planning curriculum and uh Know, got exposed to some different ideas so i'm talking with some different groups you know volunteering some different farms and organizations to try to see where i can fit in and uh, what would be the right uh, first stepping you know stepping stone into like a path in this system
0: very cool well maybe you will be uh, starting another mobile market uh, soon again so where can folks go to find more information about the work that y'all are doing? Um, I know Ryan, you mentioned um Healthy Hampshire. Where can people find the, the website for your farm and um the mobile market if that has its own? Yeah, website? it's
1: the Amherst Mobile Market.com. That's Amherst A M H E R S T. Um, Amherst, where only the H is silent. That has all the information there. There's also my website, probably a little less information, but manyhandsfarmcore.com.
0: Mm-hmm. Nathan, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, um, maybe even, I don't know, see some of your, your research and your papers. Are those um, out there on the internet for people to check out?
2: Uh, I have a, oh, it's a little humble, vibe, a humble website that's not been in maintenance for a while. You know it has some of my like papers, um, and just some information about me. It's uh, thepinevillage.com, T H E, pinevillage.com. Yeah, it's very important to put the T H E in the front because I was gonna get just regular pinevillage.com and they're asking for ten thousand dollars for the web. Domain. Whoa, okay, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, thepinevillage.com.
0: Okay, well, we'll provide links to all of those different sites for people to check out and learn more.
1: There's an amazing six-minute documentary that, um, that someone made for us last year, and you, you get a bet, much better idea of what we did and hear some more voices of other people who were part of it, um, which is it's a really touching, awesome video. If people want to check that out, it's at the AmherstMobileMarket.com website.
0: Okay, cool. I will share that with people as well. All right. Well, Ryan and Nathan, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. It was great to hear about um, all that you're doing to increase local food access in your community. Love it. Um, and it was, yeah, so glad to have you here.
1: Great. Thanks. Thanks for having
2: us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us.
0: What an inspiring conversation with Nathan and Ryan, right? Strong Towns members are doing work like this all over the country. Whether you're cleaning up a neighborhood park Starting a local business or even stepping up to run for office, you are a part of this movement of people who care about making their places more financially resilient. Help other advocates access our resources. Help us offer more ways to support you and connect you with one another. Help us to keep spreading this message of financial resilience. Become a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org slash membership. Thank you to all of you out there who are already supporting the movement You are why we do this and you make all of this happen. All right. That's a wrap for today. We will see you back next week for the next episode of the bottom up revolution podcast. Take care guys.